Chapter 21. MOBA. Driving into Boston at night could be an intimidating experience, especially for someone who had lived out in the suburbs their whole life. The Museum of Bad Art was located in Davis Square in Cambridge, which in my mind was still part of the jumble of streets called Boston. The area was jammed with drivers who acted like they knew we were from the suburbs and they decided to taunt us by getting in our way. Linda tapped on her window. Ooh, look. I bet that guy is selling crack. I jammed on my brakes to avoid hitting a blue Corolla. I said, I think we're on Mass Ave. We need to get over to Davis Square. I handed her my phone. What does the GPS say? She zoomed in on the little screen. I think you need to turn left up here. I corrected her. It's called bang a left. What is? When you're in Boston, you don't say turn left. You say bang a left. That's good to know. She said sarcastically, then glanced down at my phone. I think we passed it. Turn around. Okay. I'm going to bang a Yui. I quickly darted into a side street and hoped the next street headed in the right direction. Pull over. Let's ask this guy. Uh-oh. Not that. The eternal conflict between the sexes of asking for directions versus I have a map cliche. I felt pretty confident that the GPS on my phone would get us there in no time. Maybe in five years, that would be an argument between us. But since it was still early in our relationship, I just kept it to myself. We saw a guy in a blue sweater on the sidewalk. He was walking with a weird gait. He wasn't pushing a shopping cart filled with crap, so I thought maybe he could be of some help. We pulled over. Linda leaned out of her window and asked the guy, Do you know how to get to Davis Square? The guy darted us a frightened glance. His body tightened up and he kept stiffly walking. I let the car slowly roll forward to keep up with him. He had a terrified expression on his face. Linda called out again. Davis Square? He started to walk even faster. We followed him for about half a minute, waiting for an answer. Linda leaned back into the car. I think the guy's nuts. You wanted to ask for directions, I said. We watched him move ahead of us. His arms swung with a strange staccato. I had to stop when we came upon another car. I bet he's going to tell his psychiatrist that he escaped an abduction today. Eventually, we found the Somerville Theater and pulled into the parking lot around back. I turned off the engine, and Linda called up a webpage on her phone. It says here that Frank, the guy who runs the place, uses the same criteria to spot bad artwork as a judge once famously applied to obscenity. He knows it when he sees it. She slid the page down further. What we look for are pieces of work that are produced in an attempt to make some sort of artistic statement. But clearly, something has gone wrong. I know how that feels. It says that one of the museum's co-founders got the idea in 1994 when someone hung up a painting that an antiques dealer was about to toss into the trash. The dealer had only wanted the frame, not the crappy painting it contained. Linda looked at me with a satisfied smile. What? You wanted to see culture? I said as I got out of my car. Here we go. The museum was in the basement of an old theater building. By following the fire escape stairs down to a narrow hallway... You came to a sign stating, Art too bad to be ignored. We stopped past the entrance and took in the ambience of the environment for a moment. It looked like this place was a storage spot for the theater before they moved the junk out and gave everything a coat of white paint. It had a low ceiling with pipes running along the length of it, along with a string of bare light bulbs right where the workmen left them. The MFA spot that I had claimed for myself outside of their bathrooms blew this place away. Okay, now we're talking. She walked towards a painting of two blue poodles dancing together with their mouths open. She read the placard next to it. 
It's called Blue Tango, purchased in a thrift shop in Brownsburg, Indiana. We both examined it carefully for a moment. Then I spoke first. Yep, it's bad. I can see why they didn't want it. How long do you think it would take to paint this? Four hours, tops. I quickly scanned the other paintings. I noticed that dogs seemed to be an important theme around here. We approached a painting of some hills and a barn called On a Windy Day. Looking carefully, you could see the artist did his best to convey windiness. A person with a kite, a flag on a barn, swaying tree branches, flower petals being carried away, and to hammer home the point, a beagle in the foreground with its ears blowing in the same direction as everything else. It kind of reminds me of the artist who did the guy with the apple floating in front of his face. The Son of Man by René Marguerite? I guess so. I'm mostly thinking about their use of color tones. It's certainly surreal, but in a sort of obvious way. Next to what was a plastic drainage pipe that arced across the entire wall and ultimately took a right-hand turn through it. I suppose this is apropos, having actual sewage running past all the artwork. I suppose if it did burst open... It would be no great loss to humanity. Most of the artwork was done by artists who had limited talent, and it showed. You couldn't really slight them for trying. When you got to someone who had a sense of perspective and proper shading, it jumped out at you. One of the better rendered paintings was President Kennedy Eating Ice Cream, anonymous donation. Typically with presidents, you want to convince a sense of power and dignity, but this one showed him with his jaw agape, devouring a half-eaten ice cream cone. I was sure the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis Foundation didn't want this for their hallways. Kevin, come here, Linda said from across the gallery. She was standing in front of Sunday on the Pot with George, a painting of a man in his underwear, or perhaps an adult diaper, but rendered in the pointillism style. Weren't you working on something like this? She said with a grin. Ha ha, very funny. I said I was inspired by George Surratt. I wasn't copying him. She took a half a step back. You know, if you stand back and squint, it doesn't get any better. We slowly made our way down the wall of paintings. So you know what I'm noticing, I said, is that half of these paintings were donated by the artists themselves. Yeah? We paused for a moment next to The Gilded Nude, a painting that was done by someone aping Picasso's later abstract period. The artist was going for a cubist composition, but the focus ended up on her left tit. I said... I have a problem with people donating their artwork to this museum. Why? There's something pure about an artist abandoning their artwork and having it end up at a flea market, or even better, found in the trash. We continued walking. They admitted to themselves that it was bad and rejected their own creation. They had to accept that their artwork would live in obscurity forever. We barely slowed down for spewing Rubik's Cubes, purchased at a Boston thrift store. And? By donating it here, you're hoping for at least infamy. Even if people are snickering at it, your art affected another human being in some way. It was successful in some manner. But now you're talking about the Museum of Failed Art. We're here at the Museum of Bad Art. Van Gogh died knowing he was a failed artist. His stuff was good. He just failed to affect anyone. Are you saying that if he painted blue poodles, he might have had a chance? I laughed at the thought of Van Gogh rendering a blue poodle. I said, well, they would have been good blue poodles. We stopped at Blue Mushroom Man, purchased at a Boston thrift store. A recently rendered head of a bald man suffering from some kind of oral fungal infection. 
I said, now let's talk about someone like Mark Chapman. The guy who shot John Lennon. Yeah. He knew he was a complete, obscure nobody. He wanted the fame, but he knew he didn't have the talent. He knew if he did something bold, he'd be remembered forever. The asshole pulled it off. So the people who donated artwork here are the Mark Chapmans of the art world? Kind of. Hell, they can brag they have a piece in a museum somewhere. My phone alerted me that I had a text message. What's worse for an artist, dying broke and in obscurity, or just broke but knowing that you had accomplished something with your life? I called up the message screen. Holy crap, I said. It's a message from Gary Eastman. I sat down on a giant red circular couch that certainly was an example of bad furniture. Linda sat next to me to get a better view of my phone. It was a single link to a YouTube video. I tapped on it, and the video began with a handheld shot of a line of paintings leaning against a cinder block wall. Someone was speaking Portuguese off camera. Okay, tá rodando. Oh, no. I recognized the location. It was the loading dock at the DLC building. It was the same spot where I had left my artwork and seen those assholes throw everything into the incinerator. The camera tilted up to reveal Pedro. Começa agora? He said to the camera. Sim. Was heard off camera. Pedro went to the far end of the paintings. He picked up the first one, a rendering of a woman in a room. He showed it to the camera for a moment, then walked over to the incinerator, opened the door, and pushed it into the fire. The camera lingered on it so we could clearly see the flames start to consume it. Pedro went back for the second one, a nighttime street scene. He showed it to the camera for a second, then into the fire it went. Now Pedro entered the frame holding my painting that I had saved from the fire a few weeks ago. My heart stopped for a second. I couldn't believe what I was watching. With a quick toss, he flipped it into the fire. God damn it. I can't believe these guys are doing this, Linda said in astonishment. I could feel my face getting redder as I watched Pedro load half a dozen more paintings into the incinerator. He did the same little pause for the camera each time he let one go into the flames. It was as if someone wanted to clearly document the destruction for whoever was watching the recording. Why are they doing this? I was gripping my phone so tightly, it felt like it might spontaneously combust from the pressure. Seething, I said, I don't know. Pedro picked up the final painting, the one I had delivered a few days ago. Motherfucker. He casually walked over to the incinerator and attempted to place it inside. Because it was filled with burning paintings, he had to force it in with a couple of wiggles. He closed the door and said, É isso aí. The recording stopped there. We sat in silence for a moment. I felt like I had been hit in the head with a shovel, Linda asked. I thought he's been paying you for your artwork. I gritted my teeth and said, he has. I sat in silence next to her for a few moments. I couldn't believe Gary had the gall to send something like this to me. He knew how it would affect me. It was as if he was getting off on some sick mind game. Concerned, she asked me. What are you going to do? I pondered it for a few seconds. Slowly, I said, if he wants to play this game, I took a deep breath. If he's going to pay me and not care what I do, I like this idea. It was almost like an epiphany came over me. Then chuck everything into the fire. I slowly stood up, really warming to the thought. I am going to make so much bad art... I held my finger up in dramatic fashion. I was going full dictator. I will put this place to shame. 